This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Boom. Just like that, we're at episode number 10. If you're new here, thanks for stopping in. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and this is GoToGrandma, a show I created to talk about things that today's grandparents are dealing with, interested in, and want to know more about. If you haven't listened to episodes 1 to 9, you can do so by visiting zoomerradio.ca or by finding us on iTunes or Spotify. I'd love it if you did. But you're here now, and today's show is a good one. While most of you know that I have two adorable grandsons, what you might not know is that I have four children. I use the term children loosely as they now range in age from 19 to 30. But it's weird to say my grown-ups, right? Growing up, I was also one of four. I have two boys and two girls. I was one of two girls with two brothers. When I was a kid in the 60s, four children was nothing unusual. Our neighbor had nine children. Most families on our street in Winnipeg had at least four children. When I had my kids, three of them in the 90s and one in 2002, four children was definitely not the norm. Did you mean to have four? How did you do it? I got these questions all the time, especially when I had my fourth and my other kids were three, eight, and ten. But I didn't feel like it was a big family. It was just regular. My daughter, the 10-year-old who is now 30, has two boys. So, obviously, I think she should have two girls next. They do want four kids. When lockdown started here in Ontario in March of 2020, my daughter and son-in-law and then five-month-old grandson moved in with us. We have a good-sized house in the suburbs, and they were living in a one-bedroom condo in downtown Toronto. We already had my grade 12 son at home, and my university-aged child had moved back in to continue their degree. My son, living in Collingwood and employed in the restaurant business, had also moved back home. We had seven adults and one little baby in the house. Oh, and two cats that came to be hidden in the basement so as not to get to the allergic family member. We were jammed in, but we made it work. Part of the reason was that we knew this was a unique situation and we had to make it work. Of course, I wrote up agendas for each night's dinner as we worked our way through this uncertain and troubling time. Some family members even worked their way through the Tiger King, and we all helped out with washing groceries. Flash forward to now, my two grandsons and their parents live in their own townhouse. My son is back in Collingwood. My 22-year-old university graduate is now working from home, and my youngest is living away attending university. It seems quiet here, but it's nice to have everyone back for dinner now and again, and it's even nicer that we don't have to wash the loaves of bread anymore. I liked having them all live back here for a limited engagement. Maybe four kids is a big family. My special guest today has eight kids, and she's the co-founder and president of, guess what, a daycare company called Kids & Company. Victoria Sopik lives with some of her grandchildren full-time. She has 11 of them. She's going to tell us all about how that household looks. Perhaps some of you live with your grandchildren also, or are thinking about it. I can't wait to talk to Victoria. Also on today's show, we're going to give you the lowdown on Kobo e-reader devices. They have a range of them, but what's different about them and why might you consider getting one? Our Take 5 with RBC series looks at an economic forecast this week. We're going straight to the source on this one. Deputy Chief Economist of RBC Royal Bank, Dawn Desjardins, shares her insights. You won't want to miss that. Get your coffee, pour your tea, and stay tuned for our 10th show. 
I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Victoria Sopic, CEO and co-founder of Kids and Company, mother of eight and grandmother of 11, understands the delicate balancing act between raising children and a career. Victoria's experiences as a working mother and devoted parent have had a profound impact upon her and they have made her determined to make a difference by helping working parents and concerned employers with work-life challenges. As CEO, Victoria oversees the company's strategic direction and provides leadership to the company's management team to deliver industry-leading child care services. Kids and Company is the culmination of over 35 years of experience as an entrepreneur and child care and parenting expert. Kids and Company has served well over 50,000 children and created thousands of jobs across Canada and now in the United States. Good morning, Victoria. You're a busy lady, so thank you for joining us this morning. Happy to be here. Now, I understand that you live with some of your grandkids. Tell me about that. Yes, thank you. You know what? Prior to COVID, my daughter and her husband um, had one, maybe two children. She had a condo that was too small, very very typical for young uh, families in Toronto. I was trying to move up to a you know a bigger home, and um, I was living in a, in a fairly large home uh, with two of my other younger children who are in their twenties. Sort they were sort of transitioning from university to their careers, and they were planning to move out. One was actually moving to Singapore for work, so I said, "Move in with me for a little bit until you figure it out." And now it has been three years. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so it's worked well. You know, things might have changed during COVID, but as you know, you know, it seemed like it was a good time to just sort of stay put. And I obviously, you know, was a huge amount of support to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter was on mat leave with her first, but working through, like, working during her mat leave. So, like, she had a small baby, but she was still working. Right. So I guess it wasn't technically a mat leave. Um, <laughs> and then, um, and her third as well. So, I think that it's been a great joy for me, as you can imagine, having eight children of my own. I'm obsessed with babies. Yeah, it seems so. Um, and small <laughs> children, obsessed. You know, people will say, you know, what their hobbies and their interests are, and <laughs> mine are only always children, which is weird. It's just the way that I was wired. And, um, you know, my high school yearbook, um, and I've showed it to my children because I don't think, once they started having children, I don't think they really believed me. I mean, I think prior they didn't right. think about it. And then when my high school year put my, my, you know, career goal was to have 10 children. And interestingly, my niece um, was going through her my brother's yearbook and, and came upon it and sent it to me. And I was like, yes, see, there you go, guys. Because as they've had, my oldest son and wife are having their fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, now she's pregnant with her fourth. But as you know, it's unusual to have more than two or three, you know, always. It is. Especially now, um, you know, in this day and age. I had a few friends from my third generation had five. But mm-hmm. that was the most I had encountered um, and so I think, luckily, the four of mine that have children have gained a massive amount of respect for me. Yes, absolutely. As a parent, I had eight children in 11 years and, oh and always, you know, worked and ran a business. And so I think, you know, they thought it looked effortless because um, that's what children think of their parents. And it's now they so know, true. you know, their dad and I, how much work we put in, um, you know, to get them to football and soccer and figure skating and dancing and all the stuff that they did and skiing and et cetera. They, they know how, how hard it is. And I'm sure they have newfound uh, respect and admiration. Yes. Hats off to you, Victoria, because I had four kids over 10 years. So I yes. feel like an underachiever next to you. <laughs> so you're a CEO of a very large, successful company. You're mother of eight and grandmother to 11. You're the perfect person to ask this. Um, what tips would you give to others trying to balance or integrate work and family life? I can Is it possible? <laughs> yeah, we hear it all. So, you know, I was the mom, 
in the hockey arena 20 years ago with a BlackBerry in the stands texting people, because the fact that you text is on your BlackBerry, right. texting people, business stuff, and all the other mothers were and fathers were looking at me like I was a terrible person, <laughs> and I would only look up when my child was on the ice. So my motto was, if my child's playing, yes, watching. But remember, I had six boys playing hockey, so I could have been, you know, eyes riveted to the ice rink the whole time if I had chosen to. And I also had an, an adage, which was, one child per season, per sport game, I would make sure I went to. Yep. Um, and so that, I mean, it sounds like not a lot, but a lot. But my point is that I never tried to do it all. And yep. I think, you know, it's the number one takeaway we all have all the time. It's been in cycles over the, you know, my, my son's 36. So 36 years of parenting, I've seen different cycles of parents caring more and less. And hopefully now for our, our young families today, they're realigning themselves, thinking, you know, knowing that, you know, they don't need to put the bar anywhere rather than where they want to put it. Great point. Um, and just to do the best they could. But luckily, I, I had that figured out at a very young age when I was a young mom, and I didn't ever feel any pressure from anyone. You know, they said to me, why are you texting? Why are you working? I'm like, well, otherwise I, otherwise I wouldn't be here. I had the same experience. I 100% get you with the years was double mine, but I am with you all the way. But you have a unique experience as well that I, I certainly don't, being a grandmother 11. Yeah. Has that changed your perspective on your business, on the childcare industry? Yeah. No, thank you. You know what? Um, our message for childcare, and we have, you know, 10,000 children in childcare today, and our message has been always that, you know, we want to care for your children as we do for our own. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, I will say my grandchildren and most of my grandchildren have either gone to our childcare or are currently attending. Um, and so definitely, um, you know, I love the parents that complain because I <laughs> want to know what's happening. And I always say I'm the most complaining. Per- I complain the most of anyone. And so it's really just embracing that high level of customer care and realizing that, though we're not perfect, we want to do what we can to make things right. Right. So that's been, that's been a good message for me and to, and to see it live. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you're absolutely right. It's through sort of complaints or sort of suggestions. How's that? Yes. Helpful suggestions yeah. that we all get better. Right. So, Victoria, we can find your website at kidsandcompany.com and we can find you on Instagram, correct? At, at, at Vsopic? Yeah, Vsopic. Yeah. And I, have, yeah, I was going to say, I'd love to welcome people. I have lots of parenting tips. I've learned a lot over 36 years of parenting, so I'd love to welcome people to um, follow me. One last question. How old is your, oh, I know you have another grandchild on the way, but yes. of the 11, what's the age range of your 11 grandkids? Oh, yeah. You know, the oldest one's eight. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. So, there's, <laughs> yeah, so there, there's a lot of fun together. Yeah. And my goal was always to have 23. That was oh, my, my goal. Goodness. I told my children. But I think we're going to exceed it because now we have 12 from the first four, but still a number to come of this four. So, you know, we'll probably have 15 or 16 from the first four. My so could goodness. that be 30 altogether? Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, you're on the way. I, I you, know, yes. it just, you know what it shows? It shows that your kids enjoyed so much growing up in large families yeah, since they're you. starting them themselves. And I think that's amazing. Thank and I'm sure you are a fantastic grandmother to them all. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us with your busy schedule. And we'll look forward to hearing about number 30 at some point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Okay. You too, Victoria. Dawn Desjardins is the Deputy Chief Economist of RBC Royal Bank. She is a key contributor to the macroeconomic forecast for Canada and the U.S. and is part of a team that is responsible for the interest rate forecast for both countries. Dawn delivers economic analysis to RBC's clients through a variety of publications and presentations and is often interviewed to discuss developments in the economy and financial markets. Prior to joining RBC... Don worked as a reporter for Bloomberg Financial News in Toronto, covering the Canadian bond and currency markets. Good morning, Don. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, good morning, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me. So we, I think, can all appreciate the economy has been impacted by the pandemic, but I'm hoping you are able to tell us there are some positive signs for the upcoming months and what we can look forward to. Well, you're right. It's been a very difficult time (laughs) uh, for the economy. But I think as we move forward, um, we will see the economy really get back its equilibrium, if Mm -hmm. you will. You know, it's been a a pretty uneven recovery so far. Um, We've had segments of our economy which just really have struggled uh, because we haven't been able to fully reopen. Mm -hmm. But I think with the vaccination rates having moved up so significantly, I think it leaves the room uh, open for the economy to actually continue to reopen Mm -hmm. and to reopen on a sustained basis. And so, of course, that's going to be good news uh, for workers um, because we have recovered 95 percent of the jobs that we lost because of the pandemic, but we still have that remaining 5 percent. So we think that we're going to continue to see uh, jobs being created. Uh, We know that households have lots of money stocked away because, of course, people who had jobs certainly couldn't spend it to the same degree Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And those that were getting government support, you know, I think they were putting money away because they weren't sure when they were going to get back to work. So, you know, there's lots of money on the sidelines that we think will be deployed. And that's going to drive our economy as we go through through the months ahead. Sort of this stored up spending, as you're talking about, as we hit the restaurants again and shop and travel and do all of those things that really push the economy forward. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I hate to go on the other side of this, but, you know, what would you consider <laughs> to be the ongoing challenges for us all from an economic indicator perspective? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's a few things. One thing we have seen, prices have started to move up. Now, some of that, and and a large part of that really is just reopening, right? Right. A year ago, we were not seeing price movements very, very much, if at all. And now we're starting to see prices rise. Um, But they're rising for a few reasons. Uh, Some of it reflects the fact that we have some pretty big disruptions globally in terms of supply chains. You know, while Canadians have been able to be vaccinated, there's many emerging and developing countries where they haven't had access to the vaccine. And so, you know, these are countries we buy some of our manufactured goods from. And so we had some interruptions from that side of the equation. And so that has put some upper pressure um, on prices. Now, as we do get to whatever this new normal uh, looks like, you think some of that pressure will ease. And I guess also in terms of challenges, those labor shortfalls and the people getting back to work, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a positive growth. But on the other hand, you know, there seems to be uh, quite a few job vacancies. So Mm. businesses are struggling to get these people. And so, you know, again, getting that match between people who are available to work and the jobs that need to be fulfilled, you know, those are the Those are kind of a a challenge, I would say, going forward. So all to say, you know, a lot of things are happening right now as we we move to this more normal situation. And those will be lumps, I think, and bumps uh, as the recovery continues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, wish we had the crystal ball, right? But this is what we're seeing right now. A lot of the audience on on our show um, are interested or already travel south. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they're you know wondering what's ahead for the Canadian dollar and maybe, you know, thoughts on interest rates and and real estate, you know, as, as we look at that. 
Yeah, well, the Canadian dollar has been in a, a pretty big range recently, uh, you know, almost reaching 83 cents against the U.S. dollar in early June and since coming off a little bit. Uh, but we do think that the currency is kind of at a, a fair value stage where it probably is going to trade um, around 80 cents as we look forward. You know, we're looking at the drivers uh, of our currency, um, commodity prices, of course, being very important because that's something we export and commodity prices in many cases have fully recovered where they were um, prior to the pandemic. So that's a, that's a positive. Some have even gone above that. Um, we also look at, you know, where Canada's economy, how it evolves. You know, we do think, as I said, that we will see this growth. And what that means is that over time, uh, we'll get back to full capacity. Uh, we won't need these extraordinarily low interest rates to spur economic activity. Mm-hmm. And so the Bank of Canada, our central bank, we think will start to, to look to raise interest rates. Now, it's not anything big um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, a relative price being the Canadian dollar against the U.S. dollar, we think the Bank of Canada will move ahead uh, of the U.S. central bank. So that, again, will give some some underpinning to our currency. So we're looking for about 80 cents. Now, on the rate side, you know, okay. and as the story, as I said, we do think the Bank of Canada will get into action, but that's not till the second half of next year. And even then, you know, movements will be pretty limited in terms of, of how far interest rates are going to go up in the very near term. Certainly, the central bank does not want to derail what, you know, is to some degrees a fragile recovery. So, you know, we do think interest rates moving up maybe about half a percentage point, but again, historically remaining really low. Thank you so much for your insight on this today, Don. For more information, we can go to rbc.com slash economics. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kathy. I am now joined by Renee Dontremont, who is the Director of Communications for Rakuten Kobo. Thanks for joining us this morning, Renee. Hello, Kathy, and thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So you know that I am a huge Kobo fan, and I've had many different formats and different versions, as have many of my family members. But for listeners who aren't as familiar with e-readers and some of the benefits, you know, you have quite a range um, of on offer. Can you walk us through a couple of them and why we might choose one over the other? Sure. There's a couple I want to talk to you about today. Like you mentioned, we do have a full lineup. And by the way, I do follow you on social and I have (laughs) read some of the books you've read. So thanks for that. Oh, happy to give recommendations. (laughs) Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, We have the Kobo Nia. So this is, you know, at the start of the lineup, it's $129.99. And it's for that person who just wants to read wherever they are, take it with them on the bus. It's easy to carry around. There's there's three uh, sleep covers. There's a lemon sleep cover, aqua color sleep cover, and a black sleep cover. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the greatest thing to carry around wherever you go. And there's comfort light uh, as well. So you can adjust the brightness. You don't have to be worried about uh, needing a lamp to read at nighttime and whatnot. And the other great thing is, is that it's glare free, so you can read it in the sun. So it's great for travel, I would say, right? I mean, I have one of those. It's not only is it small for your, you know, your flight or bus or whatever, with the light, it works great. But also then when you are, you're absolutely right. It's great in sunlight if you are sitting outside reading a book. Exactly. And and for travel, you you um, you have it right there. Uh, mm-hmm. The battery lasts for weeks. So uh, unlike a smartphone or a tablet, you don't have to charge every day. So that's, that's pretty amazing. That's a really good point. And I think something that people worry about, well, what if I take this and then my bat- and I can't read the book? It literally last for weeks, which is always a surprise to me how long the battery lasts. So you're going to be fine before you can find your next charge. 
Exactly. And I, I rarely ever bring the charging cord when I go on a trip. So. Exactly. Yeah. No, you don't need to, right? Exactly. So we start with the Nia and then work us through maybe something that's got an extra feature. Yes. The other one, and it happens to be my favorite, is the Kobo Libra H2O. It's a little bit more expensive. Uh, the screen is a little bit bigger, an extra inch. Um, but this one is uh, waterproof. So if that person likes to read in the bath or in the pool <laughs> or, or you know, by the lake, no issues there. Um, and any accidental drops in water will, will not affect it at all. And this one also has a page turn button. So if you're nice. a person who likes the tactility of buttons, this one has that as well. Right. Uh, and you can also read in landscape mode on this one. That's a great benefit, depending on what you're reading and the size of the font that you're using as well, right? To have that ability. Exactly. And, you know, this is the thing with e-readers. You don't have to worry about buying a print book with a certain font size. You can actually customize the font, the size, the margin, mm-hmm. customize it to your liking. And yeah, it's just a very easy device to use once you get the hang of it. It's very easy. Um, there's a little bit of a setup at the outset, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to, to continue using. And you're right about it being, it's waterproof, not water resistance. And there's a big thing. I mean, I have literally thrown it in an ocean to test it, as you know. So it is waterproof. It's an amazing, amazing piece of technology. So we have our e-reader. We're all set up. Renee, I'm going to ask you maybe for a quick book recommendation you might want to share with us this week. Absolutely. So I usually read a lot of uh, mystery and thrillers. Uh, I think that's one of your favorite genres Mm -hmm. as well. But right now I'm reading uh, an older book uh, that's just been revised for the 30th anniversary. And I just say just revised, but I believe it was last year. Mm -hmm. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Ah. People by Stephen R. Covey, which I'm really enjoying. Yeah, it's a terrific read, isn't it? I think I read it when it first came out, and I had the opportunity to interview Stephen Covey years and years ago for an article. And yeah, it's it's very easy read. It's very easy to take on tips. And who doesn't need to be more highly effective, right? <laughs> exactly. And I think the, the thing for me that I noticed with this book is I don't think any of us really listen to other people as much as we should. So I think the key takeaway is just you know, be uh, you know to be empathetic. You need to be able to listen mm-hmm. without just thinking about the next thing you want to tell this person. So I'm sorry. What did you just say? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I think a lot of us reload. I call it reloading instead of listening. Right? We're like, I'm going to make this point as soon as they stop talking. And you're right. That's a huge takeaway from that book. And as I said, an easy read, particularly an easy read if I'm reading it on my Kobo e-reader. And if I want to find more information um, and order a Kobo e-reader, where do I go? Kobo.com. Okay, that's the best place. And also Kobo does post book recommendations as well on social media, which I enjoy seeing as well. Yes, and we also have audiobook versions of a lot of books, and uh, we have uh, all kinds of options for readers. Even my books. Yes, exactly. Okay, thanks for joining me this morning, Renee. Really appreciate your insight. Thank you, Kathy. The average number of kids in a Canadian household is about 2.1. Parents are having their kids a bit later in life as they set themselves up career-wise and financially. That's cool, obviously. But keep in mind that if you want to be engaged with your grandkids in your 50s, 60s, and 70s and beyond, you'd better start preparing now for the type of relationship you want to have. Physically, you're going to need to prepare more than opening the cupboard for cookies. I'm 58, I work out every day, and I just spent last weekend with my toddler grandson, and I was in bed at 9 o'clock on Sunday night. Okay, I normally go to bed at 9.30, but the point is he still exhausted me. Besides keeping up physically, we also have to have physical space for our grandchildren to visit. 
For us, hanging on to the big family home was lucky when they all had to move back home for a while. Think about your next moves and how your grandchildren might fit into them. Thanks to Victoria Sopic for sharing her obviously stretched and valuable time with us today. Check out Kids and Company for daycare options in your area. Is the future so bright we have to wear shades? I'm not sure about that, but the future forecast from RBC was extremely helpful for our own future planning. Next week, I'm going to find out if I did everything right for my first grandkids sleepover. Sleep expert Alana McGinn is going to give us all the details on how to have a successful sleepover session. As well, I'll be joined by Lisa Thornbury of the podcast A Very Bright Life, who will tell us about her daughter Avery, who has disabilities and how Avery's grandparents are an important ally in their parenting journey. As well, our Take 5 with RBC series continues with advice on how to find your passion in retirement. A packed show coming up for episode number 11. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma, either on Zoomer Radio or via podcast. Thanks for stopping in, and please join us next week. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter, at Kathy Buckworth, or email her, Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.